will uh, hopefully notice that we have a new banner up. Called to be free from the book of Galatians. I've, I've really enjoyed, I've loved the series that we have done in, uh, in doing the connecting to God. The connecting that we did was fantastic. But uh, I'm also excited to, to move into the book of Galatians. When you go through, when you're, like when you're a preacher and you go through a book and you basically do verse-by-verse verse study of a book, uh, you know, we call that expository preaching. And I love doing expository preaching. I love being able to just go through a book and see what the Word of God has to say to us every Sunday morning. It's just, I, it just warms my soul so much when I'm doing it. I, and I hope it's a blessing to you as well. I, I like the themes we do too. And connecting to, to God is certainly a worthy theme for us to focus on. Um, but, oh, I just love the idea of being able to do something expository. So if you would, I would love for you to turn to Galatians chapter 1, because that's where we're going to go. Page 823 in the Bibles that are underneath your seats. And this book is a little bit different as a letter of Paul than some. Like, we've got books in the New Testament written by Paul that are directed to specific people, like Timothy or to Titus. And then we have books in the New Testament where that book is written specifically by Paul or someone else to a specific city, like, for example, Corinth. And Galatians, you might think, is written to the city of Galatia, but it's not, because Galatia is not a city. Galatia is actually a region. And so if you look at the map up here, you can see this is the end of what's modern-day Turkey, then was known as Asia Minor, and you can see how there's this Asia out to the left, and we think, well, Asia is much different than what we think. We think of Asia as this big continent, but in those days it was this. And then Galatia, you can see, is kind of right in the middle and a little bit to the east, or the west, I should say, as you head toward the end of Turkey. And it's, um, as I said, this is a region. It's not a specific city. And these lines that you see on here, there's, what, a red line and a pink line and a blue line. Those actually represent the journeys of Paul as he traveled around the Mediterranean world, and he went to these different places. And you can see that three times he visited southern Galatia. And so between 47 or so and 57, Paul was traveling and and going to these different places over about a 10-year period, came through at different points. And then he writes this letter, Galatia, Galatians, he writes this to, to a region, really a number of different churches that are in this region of Galatia, over about a four-year period. We, we don't know exactly, of course, when he wrote it, but between 47, 48, 49, around in there to maybe 53 or so is when the book of Galatians was written. And what had happened is that when Paul had gone and planted churches there along with Barnabas and some good churches had been planted, some problems arose. They started having some difficulties for sure, and Paul felt like he needed to address those difficulties. And so he'd he'd been there at least twice when he wrote the letter, and so he knew them fairly well um, and was starting to feel a certain way about uh, about how they were thinking and believing and acting. And this, uh, you know, this just became a bit of a problem, and he felt like he needed to deal with that particular problem. Well, before we go any further... Uh, I want to give you a principle for reading the Bible. And one of the things we have to think about when reading New Testament letters, and certainly this applies to Galatia, is this. Okay? Come on up. Tony, come on up. Here's the principle. 
we only have one side of the conversation. Uh, From what we have in front of us, we have to figure out what those being addressed have said or what they are doing or thinking. And so what James and Tony are about to do is give us one side of the conversation. And I want you to listen to this. And this is, this is the Paul side. We, we, don't, we don't hear the side coming from the Galatians. We only hear what Paul says, and we have to construct kind of what's coming from the other way. Okay? Go ahead. Love. Shock. Joy. Anger. Peace. Frustration. Self-defensiveness, kindness, accusatory, goodness, challenging, faithfulness, calling down curses, Hmm. calling down curses, self-control, judging. Hmm. Thanks, guys. Those are two very different sets of words. When, when you hear James and the set that he was offering, the words that he was reading, where do those come from? Did you, did you listen to what he said? What were they? The fruit of the Spirit. James read love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where did he get those? Galatians comes right out of Galatians. The Tony read a completely different kind of list. But the fact is that Tony's list comes right out of Galatians. Maybe in a completely different way than James' list, but it does in fact come come out of Galatians, and we're going to see that in just a minute. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And I want to read this, and I want you to notice as we read through this, the words, the kind of words that Tony especially read. And we're going to do something with that here in just a moment. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom, the glory, uh, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now that's interesting. This attitude that's there on the part of Paul in these words. I want you, if you would, just keep your finger there for a second and flip over a couple of books to the book of Philippians. And I want you to notice chapter 1, verses 3 through... Oh, I'll just read for a bit, okay? Philippians chapter 1... I flipped too far. And notice that the, the, 
the attitude here in, com- in contrast to what we just read. Paul says to the Philippians this time, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There is a huge difference between the way that Paul addresses the Philippians and the way that Paul addresses the Galatians. It is not at all the same perspective. And what I want to do right now is I want to put some words on the screen. And I want to ask this question, how and why does Paul express himself the way that he does? Specifically in Galatians chapter 1. And, and these are some words that Paul read out, or that uh, Tony read out. My question is, where do you see this? Look at everybody at Galatians chapter 1. And you can start with verse 1. And just go through there. And where do you see, down through verse 10, where might you see Paul specifically being defensive? Giving some account of himself. Just shout it out when you find something. Yeah. Exactly. Where do you find that, Paul? In verse 1, the very first verse, Paul makes a defense of himself. And he talks about his apostleship. My apostleship did not come from other men. My apostleship, he says, came from the Lord Jesus Christ who appointed me to be an apostle. Okay? And then where do you find another kind of claim about his own, uh, himself and a a kind of a defensive tone? There's at least one other place for sure. Verse 10, what does it say, James? Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, now we said from the beginning... That in studying the New Testament, the letters, one of the things we don't, we don't have the other side of the argument. We only have Paul. So we've got Paul here. We can read Paul. And based on what Paul is saying, a defense of himself, what might you think is going on? Like, why, do, why does he have to do this? Why would it be? Somebody must have Absolutely. I think you're exactly right, Keith. I think somebody, somebody has said, you know what? I think Paul's a pretty weak apostle. I'm not sure he's even qualified to be apostle. I get Peter being apostle. I understand James and John, but who is Paul? Didn't he kind of come along late in the game? Is there any reason to really trust him? You know, his gospel is a little bit different than the rest of the apostles. Why is it that we should trust Paul's apostleship? That seems to be there somewhere, that kind of challenge. What else might they be saying about Paul based on verse 10? He's looking for praise. Yeah. Paul just wants to be somebody. He wants to be noteworthy. Uh, you know, in the ancient world, those who wanted to be somebody oftentimes were rhetoricians. 
They love to go to a, a marketplace or a theater or someplace and speak to the crowds. And if they could speak well, then everyone would look at them and take note of them and admire them. Well, Paul just wants to be admired. Now, the fact is, you read 2 Corinthians, it's pretty, Paul, pretty clear that Paul is not a great speaker. They keep criticizing the speaking. But he's nonetheless uh, accused here of just wanting some notoriety. Not being that great of a speaker, that wouldn't be what he would really seek. He'd want instead to be known for addressing crowds and people thinking that he has powerful teaching. Okay, So that's two things that go on here in terms of self-defensiveness. And we put together the other side of the story. What are they saying about Paul that causes him to respond the way that he does? Okay, So self-defensiveness is... That's part of Paul's M.O. here, as we look at the first 10 verses. Well, here are some other things we see. Shock. Where do you see shock? What's in verse 6? What does it say, Tony? I am astonished. Yeah. I'm astonished. I can't believe you people. I came and I preached the gospel to you. I've been there at least twice now. Barnabas and I, we've gone around. We showed you the truth of Jesus. And you're, you're letting this go. I cannot believe that you are letting this go. He's got genuine shock or astonishment is in Paul's mindset and heart as he reflects on what, uh, where the Galatians are at. Okay? And then how about this one? Accusation. Does Paul, does Paul make any accusations? Yeah. He, specifically, confusion about the gospel. And so there is an accusation on Paul's part for sure about somebody, some teachers, those who are, going to, who, who are causing some real problems. And Paul's not afraid to accuse them of doing just that. Okay? What about judging? Would you say that Paul has some element of, of judgment in his mind about these others who are throwing the church into confusion? And what, is it, what does he say that sounds like that? Yeah, yeah, and which is actually coming up here quick. Calling down curses. You know, I, I, I don't want you to think that I use language like this all the time. But you know what Paul says? He says, God damn them. That's what he says. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. And he says it quite powerfully. He is serious about the curse that he is calling down on those who are doing something with the gospel of which Paul obviously totally disapproves. Now, the fact is, normally, we would uh, probably disapprove of most of those kinds of attitudes on Paul's part. Self-defensiveness, it's not really an admirable quality. Shock, accusation, judgment, calling down curses. Most of us wouldn't look at that and go, yep, that's where we should all be. Instead, we would tend to think love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's where we should be. But Paul isn't there. Well, that leads me then to ask some questions as I read this. Why does Paul act this way? This guy's an apostle. How is it that he acts this way with other people? And then I want to ask the question too, is Paul justified in acting the way that he does? So first, the first question, why does Paul act this way? And I think the answer partially comes in verse 4. Like you look at verse 3, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which sounds much more like Paul, or at least we think it does, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. 
And the fact is, what we're talking about here is the gospel. And so Paul, acting this way, why? Because Jesus Christ came to rescue them from the present evil age, and there is something they're doing that is taking them right back into it. And Paul is saying, may it never be. I don't want to see you go back there. And he is really serious about saying, you cannot go back there. To the point where he gets a little lathered up. And we're not really used to this. Again, we tend to think the Spirit's going to do something else with us. But is there an opportunity for the Spirit here, maybe, through Paul's anger, to speak some element of truth? And I would say that there is. You know, here's what the gospel has done. The gospel has broken the chains. The gospel has set people free. The gospel's put people in a place where because of what they believe, everything is changed. They now have an opportunity for relationship with God, and they have been called. Verse 6 says they've been called to live specifically this way in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here is what's happening in Galatia. Right back into the cage. And because of that, the gospel has become unrecognizable. What was the gospel of liberty and freedom is becoming, again, something put on them as a binding, law-oriented, controlling influence where they think that their relationship with God is going to be flourishing in the context of rules and something being bound upon them. And Paul will not for a moment tolerate it to the point where he uses very harsh language. And (laughs) take my word for it, there are places in the book where it gets harsher. He uses language that is, you know, in our minds and our lips, we think, well, that's, that's not the kind of language we should be using. But Paul uses that kind of language because the gospel for him means so much. And so is he justified? Is he right? Is it a good thing for him to use this kind of language? Well, it certainly is if the gospel is the truth. And that is so much the issue here. That there are people who are calling for something, calling for a church and churches in a whole region. And and who knows, by the way, what would have happened if Paul had not nipped this in the bud right then in the area of Galatia, what would have happened? Would this have had the opportunity to expand? It could be that this legalistic attitude and mindset toward Christianity could have just flourished. And so Paul feels it's absolutely necessary to stop it right here. You know, we live in a time in which there are options and challenges to the the traditional Christian gospel everywhere. And I would say that just like Paul, we can't ignore these challenges or act like they can so easily be pushed aside because I'm not sure that they can. But the fact is there are genuine questions being asked by genuine people. I I, I really think that. Like the average person, I don't think, is out there saying, well, I just want to ask silly questions that can't really be answered in order to uh, destroy the faith of another. I think in most cases, people are asking sincere questions. I do think they come from a mindset and a background 
a world perspective, a worldview that puts them in a place where they, maybe they can't ask the question the way that it needs to be asked. They can't reach the answer the way that it needs to be asked. But I don't know that everybody is just dishonest in all of their questions. But the questions are there. And we need to acknowledge these questions. I think we need to be open about those questions. We have to ask whether or not there is genuine merit to the gospel of Jesus. Like, is there something here that we really believe is true, can defend as true, can discuss with others in a climate of mutual benefit to each other? Can we somehow discuss that in a way that is going to allow us still to prove the gospel and hold up Jesus? I think that we can. And I think that we need to. Is there not something here that still deserves our attention and even our allegiance and commitment at a time and in a climate when so many people are challenging the gospel? And of course I would say that there is. That's what was happening in Paul's day. There were people who were challenging the gospel. Paul chooses to deal with them. Now because he's who he was, and because it was potentially destroying the church, he gets a little bit ticked off. Paul's angry. He's especially angry when there are people who've come into the church and those for whom he's worked on behalf of God who are being drawn away to something that is not the gospel at all. And so that makes him a bit angry. But I love the fact that right in the book of Galatians, even though Paul is certainly saying, no, that there is the room to see controversy and discussion happening right in the church. Do you know that what happens very quickly after this first chapter is that Paul begins to start to tell his story of his experiences in the Galatian churches and then larger than that in Antioch. And do you know who it is in Antioch who is the most um, challenging to Paul? The one that Paul has to say, you are wrong! You know who he has to say that to? The Apostle Peter. Like Paul has to look Peter in the eyes and say, Peter, you are being sinful. You are separating yourself from the gospel. And those who are following you, they're going to separate themselves from the gospel. And Paul has to give it to Peter. Because of Peter's sinfulness. His lack of understanding of what the truth was about the gospel. That's fascinating to me. The thing I love about it is that here we are faced with all these questions and we can deal with these in an honest, open kind of way, just the way the New Testament does. There is no attempt on the part of the New Testament to say, you know what, we better not let that story about Peter and Paul get out. Let's just keep that one down. And maybe if we just kind of whitewash over all that and just make everything look really smooth and good and there's no problems in the church, then if we're able to do that, everybody's going to think that we've got it all together. And instead of that, the New Testament unveils the fact that there are sometimes genuine disagreements, real problems that can happen. And the, the fact that that takes place seems to me like a testimony to its truthfulness. If I was going to suppress something that I thought, uh, like suppress the questions about something I thought was false, the thing I would do is I'd make it all look the same. I wouldn't allow all these questions to crop up and all these disagreements. I'd make it look like everybody had it all together. And instead, we don't have it all together. 
And I think that's a testimony to the reality of this. In fact, I would say that Paul's own anger in chapter 1 is not completely taken away from him by God. He's allowed to show himself for who he really is. Maybe when he says, I'm the chiefest of all sinners, he means it. He's allowed to show who he really is, and the truthfulness of all of this, I think, comes out in the midst of a Paul who says to people, God damn you, and he's dead serious when he says it. So what we have is, I think, yes, anger, frustration, shock, defensiveness, accusatoriness, judgmentalism, and even a curse or two, but we have reality here. We've got truth here. Somebody defending what they hold to be absolutely the truth. And isn't it so much the point that for Paul, this meant everything. He could not for a moment allow the gospel to be compromised here. He couldn't allow the allegiance and commitment of the Galatian churches to be compromised here. And we need to ask the question whether or not it means as much to us as it did to them, to him. And if it does, why? And if it does, how? How does this teaching transform us? How does it hang with us? What does it mean for us? And that's what we're going to explore over the next several weeks. For this morning, I want you to be recognizing just how serious Paul took the truth of the gospel. Enough to be angry about it. I hope that in your own life, the truths of Jesus are so dear to you That when challenged, now maybe you don't scream and yell, but you certainly choose to stay steadfast in what it is that you believe. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful uh, this morning for the humanity here, for the, the reality of Paul getting angry. I'm grateful that he took this all so seriously. That the truth of Jesus was something that he absolutely wanted to defend. God, I do want us to be open to those around us who ask questions. I want us to to have dialogue. I don't want to shut down the dialogue. Um, But in the midst of a world that challenges you constantly, we want to have one foot firmly grounded, even as we look toward the relationships we have with others, to share with them in a dialoguing kind of way who Christ is. I think, Lord, we need your spirit to sort out for us uh, this balance. Uh, And I pray that as we witness for you in our world, that your spirit working through us will witness in wonderful ways and teach the truth to those whom we love. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.